Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our guest, Leah Warshawski, produces documentary-style feature television, commercials, and branded entertainment in remote parts of the world. Her first feature, Finding Hillywood, won six awards and screened at more than 65 festivals. Leah's career in film began in Hawaii, working in the Marine Department for Lost and Hawaii. She's currently co-EP for the feature doc Personhood and advises filmmakers on outreach, marketing, and hybrid distribution plans. And Carol, I understand Leah's father, Maury Warshawski, has been a donor to the Dean Grants for many years, right? Yes, and Maury is a lovely person. And it must be so exciting, Leah, to be in the same industry as your father. Yeah, it's interesting because I never thought that I would be. It wasn't my wasn't part of my plan, but it ended up that way. And I'm just grateful that you know, that he's so supportive. (laughs) I guess he doesn't have a choice, does he? Oh, I'm sure he loves every moment of it. But I read where you sort of backed into the film world through your knowledge of studying Japanese and studying marine or studying biology and Japanese, and somehow uh, you got a job helping someone in the film industry. You want to start with that? That's a fun story. Yeah, I was um, working on a boat in Hawaii during college, and uh, some friends introduced me to somebody who uh, was working on Baywatch and needed an assistant and needed some help. And the only, well, the main requirement was that you knew a little bit about boats and water, and thankfully at that time I knew just enough. (laughs) So they kind of taught me everything I know, and, um, you know, I didn't, think that I would be working in the film industry very long. I thought it would just be kind of a temporary job, but I got hooked and met some really great people who taught me everything I know, so I owe it all to them, really. That's the best part about this industry, is the friends you meet along the way, and how everyone in this industry is so generous with knowledge. Don't you find that? Yeah, I think so. It's tough because at some level, we're all competing with each other for grants and funding um, and festivals. But on another level, we're all in the same boat, so to speak. So once you find a supportive community, it's really hard to, to leave. Yes, we're all in the same boat alone together. That's <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's right. Okay, here we go. I just want to get started uh, with the fact that you were chosen out of probably uh, a thousand or more applicants, and you were one of only 18 people that were allowed to pitch at the hot docs on your film, BigSonia.com. Now, your website describes that film as a documentary about a tiny woman with a huge impact. 
So tell us about your pitch session at Hot Docs and what you learned from that event. Yeah, it was, um, I guess, the Hot Docs Forum, somebody afterwards in an article has called it the World Series of Pitching. And fortunately, um, my husband, Todd Saladay, who's the co-director on Big Sonia, was with me and we were able to tag team and get through it together. But it was a really interesting and crazy and intense experience. Um, If you haven't been to Hot Docs, to the forum before, it's in a venue that um, is a lot like Hogwarts from <laughs> from Harry Potter, so it's quite intimidating. And we were chosen to go first, um, so that was, I guess, a blessing and a curse. But it was it was great. All in all, it was it was a really intense and great experience for us, and we got some good feedback. Um, and we were able to pitch in, you know, a venue like that, which we've never quite done before at any of the other pitch sessions. So it was really valuable for us. Well, now, it's just a verbal pitch. You couldn't use any uh, other visuals? No, we did, we did use, we played our teaser um, that's also on our website. So if you would like to see it, it's on bigsonia.com. It's on the homepage, and that's what we played at hot docs. Um, the you know, the tricky part is when you only have seven minutes total to pitch, it's really difficult to get everything across. Our trailer was or our teaser is three minutes and so then we had four minutes to talk. Um, and that was that's a tough that's a tough window. Of course it is. But you you were prepared, you got all of your information in the four minutes, right? Barely. <laughs> well, Barely, you, I think. You're only pitching the essence of the film. You're not talking distribution or marketing or any social networking, anything else like that. Just the film, right? It's mostly pitching the the story, the entire story arc of the film, and and how we're going to tell the story. But what we've learned from other pitches is that, you know, when you're sitting at a table or in, or in front of certain people, you also have to let them know what your credibility is very quickly. And so you do have to somehow get in there what you've done before this film to make sure people know that, you know, this isn't the first time you've made a film because we've learned that's really important in all these pitch sessions is people want, they want to know what else you've done, but you have to get that across very quickly as well. So it was a, it was a challenge to keep it all within seven minutes, but we... We made it barely. They were starting to clap and give me signs and ring the bell, but we just it, we barreled through it. So you just came scooting in to the last minute. Good for you. <laughs> so much fun. I was sent your um, trailer by two different people who were at Hot Docs, and they said oh, you can't great. do this. They thought you were the hottest thing at Hot Docs. Well, tell me who those people are, because I want to say thank you. <laughs> They are award-winning, very seasoned filmmakers, so that's quite a compliment. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Thank you. It's it's a teaser. It's you know we haven't we're still raising money to to work on the film, so I'm sure our actual film trailer will be quite different. But the response we get in general to the teaser is that people want to see more. So I think we've done our job. Oh, you've done a great job, and what a wonderful subject you have. Now, is she your grandmother? Yes, 
Yes, she's my grandmother on my dad's side, so she's my father's mother. Oh, my heavens. What a lovely person. Um, You can't help but fall in love with her when you see the trailer. And then, of course, I want to know what's going to happen when she moves. This is what the film is all about, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely one aspect of the film, you know, is her shop. That's this magical, incredible place that um, recently had to shut down. And so we follow the whole trajectory of the shop and what happens with the shop and what happens with her as she's trying to decide what to do with the shop because she's never really known anything else. And she's not in her mind ready to ever retire. She's almost 90. So there's quite a bit of, of drama. And, you know, I think what people really take away from, from the film is that um, everybody can relate to her and her family and what she's going through in a lot of different ways. So it, it, it's quite relatable. We have a lot of people watch the teaser and tell us, you know, I have, a, I know somebody just like that or, you know, my grandmother's just like that or I know a grandmother like that or I wish she was my grandmother. So <laughs> every, we, get, we get a positive response, but she's also a very complicated woman and that's what kind of allows our film to be a feature, I think, is that there's quite a lot that happens with her and her family along the way. Oh, that's exciting to know. Good. Well, did you get any offers at uh, Hot Docs? Unfortunately, nobody wanted to write us a check to edit the movie, but we got a positive response from a few different agents who we've been um, kind of emailing with and talking with ahead of time. We got a positive response from some um, international broadcasters who were interested in seeing a rough cut or something that resembles a rough cut. <laughs> and um, that's our next milestone. So we're we're hoping to raise some money um, this summer to keep working on, on the movie and start putting our scenes together. So we're, we're ready to work. We're just, you know, as you know very well, the fundraising is, is often the most difficult part. Even when everyone loves your movie and loves your subject, it's, it's hard to, you know, convert the, the love into money. It, well, yes, very true. But, well, let's start with how you are funding this film. You know, I've been a fan of your father's for many, many years. I love his Shaking the Money Tree book and yes. his, house fund, his house party funding book. Yes. Are you using house parties to fund your film? Yes. <laughs> oh, good yes. girl. I'm so yes. proud of you. <laughs> we are. Um, we actually have uh, two coming up this fall, and we've had uh, a handful in the last two years. So we are definitely using um, his advice and using, you know, the fundraising house party. And if if anyone's interested in that, I guess, you know, I can say that my dad wrote the book because he did actually. <laughs> did he knows it all? Um, That's- so it's a great, yeah, it's a really great resource, and we've we've done fairly well with those. And you know, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a hell of a lot easier to to do that than to write some of these grants um, and be in that pool of competition. So I'm all for it. Oh, I know, I know. And when you think you've got everything in there, they they come back and say, well, you didn't put this in. Well, you didn't have it on the website, no, but we assumed you would put it in. And then you keep going back. I saw you went back to ITVS many times. Good for you. Yeah, we did um, six, that's six a secret. applications. You can't give up, Leah. 
Yeah, we we did for Finding Hollywood. We we applied six times for ITVS, and you can apply twice every year. So we that's three years straight of applications, and after that experience, I you know of course it's it's valuable. Everything is valuable. We learn from everything along the way, but we also learn that you know there's some things we don't want to do again, <laughs> and I think that's one of them. Exactly. Well, but wouldn't Big Sonia be something that ITVS would like? I mean, it's uh, mandated for um, a, a small audience. Well, what is it? I'm trying to think of the wording. Underserved audience. And I that agree. Would, would yeah. Older Jewish people, um, the people of retirement age, losing their jobs or whatever. Right. We did apply um, once and didn't make it past the first round for this film. And so there's a chance we might apply again when we have more footage because now that we have the application template, it it would be a little bit easier. But we did apply and and didn't get anywhere. So we're we're moving forward as much as we possibly can to to raise our own money. And, of course, we're going to apply for certain grants again this fall as we have more footage to share. Great. Good. Um, all right, so you're doing house parties, and anybody that's listening and uh, loves the story of Big Sonia would be uh, should contact you if they want to give you a house party. That would be delightful. Yeah, we're yeah. also offering some um, credits yes. in the in the film for people who host house parties where we can raise a certain amount of money. So if anybody's interested in being a house party host, we would love to collaborate on that. And of course. You know, we like to be there in person as well. So you can definitely get in touch with us on the Big Sonia website if you're interested. Terrific. Now, you did uh, an exceptionally well done crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. So tell us some secrets of how you were able to hit your goal. Well, we did um, a Kickstarter campaign for our previous film, which is Finding Hollywood. Um, And you can find out more about that film at FindingHollywood.com, but we, you know, we needed to raise money for post-production to finish the film, and we just weren't getting all of the larger grants that we were applied for. So, we planned out a Kickstarter campaign, and my dad actually said, we're, you know, that we weren't allowed to do it without putting ourselves in the video, which I was initially very opposed to. <laughs> but um, so we waited, you know, until we had time to make a good pitch video and. Um, Todd, you know, my husband fortunately, you know, directed Chris and I and edited the piece and we spent probably, you know, three months of the campaign, twenty four hours a day, nonstop hustling and spacing out some some press articles. We also introduced a new EP, um, who is a friend of mine from Lost, um, Harold Perrineau, came on board about midway through our campaign. So he also did a testimonial video for us, which helped a great deal. Um, we we just plowed through and never stopped. And fortunately, you know, we made a little bit more than our goal, and that that allowed us to finish the movie. What was the amount you raised, Leah? Um, we raised uh, thirty. Gosh, I think we raised about thirty-three thousand, and we were aiming for twenty-nine. Um, so we we hit our goal. Well, did you uh, have a large database, or where did the money sources come from? Your own database or your social network? 
Yeah, I mean, I have to say there were only a few people that reached out that found us randomly, you know, that, that were searching Kickstarter for projects. Most of the most of the contributions came from, you know, within six degrees of separation. So we have a pretty large network. You know, we have a fairly large crew for the movie, and everyone has their own networks, and so we really push their own networks. Um, and, you know, we we tried to get some press and blog articles written during the campaign that would send people to um, to the campaign to donate. So, you know, I'd say it was mostly small to medium donations, but spread out over three months. Um, and that's what really did it. A couple people gave, you know, two or three times once we got to the end. But it was how long was your campaign? It was the. I think it was about two and a half months. It was. It was a longer campaign. It was a longer campaign. Well, good. Uh, I mean, I always recommend you because uh, we work with Indiegogo, and their longest campaign is sixty days. And I say, take right. it. You're going right. to need it. Oh, I don't need it. Thirty days? No, that's a blink no, of an eye. No, yeah, yeah, it goes by really fast. It's very nerve-wracking too. Oh, it's so much stress. Well. Uh, obviously, they're doing something right at Kickstarter because Indiegogo has reduced their price, and now they are a flat five percent. If you oh great hit your goal, That's or good. if you don't hit your goal, you pay only five percent plus your gateway fee, what which uh, is PayPal. With us, with us, it's PayPal and Indiegogo, so we're doing this, we're matching their 8% and the, uh, for nonprofits so that people can oh, run great. through us and get a nonprofit status. But you should really consider that because of the stress involved with not hitting the goal, always staring at you, that you're going to lose everything. Yeah, I think we are going to do a crowdfunding campaign for Big Sonia, um, but we're, we're going to do it differently. So our plan is to do the campaign um, once we're done with the film so that we can raise money for distribution and marketing. Um, and so we're we're trying a different strategy. We're going to hold off because we know that there's there's quite a bit of funding needed once the film is done, <laughs> and uh, we don't want to be stuck. Right. Um, so you've been funding your film with a crowd, a film, films, plural, crowdfunding, Funding parties. How about one-on-one asks? Are you doing that? Yes, we do. We do a lot of that. You know, I'm not shy about asking most people I meet to to consider a, a gift or a contribution to whatever we're doing. Um, so we do that. You know, all the time. We also apply for grants pretty much year-round, <laughs> and we've received um, a Four Culture grant, which is a local grant for Seattle artists. Um, a number of times, and that's really helped us at, at key times to keep projects moving. Uh, and then we've received some uh, family foundation grants uh, that have helped us quite a bit as well. And then we've had some anonymous donors who, you know, just are friends with or um, close to our topics or subjects in the films, and, and they've written us large checks as well. So oh. it's kind of a, a salad bowl of of methods. There's not really one way we found that that works. It's it's kind of 
trying to think outside the box and be creative and figure out, you know, how to raise the money a number of different ways. Absolutely, and it's the foundation. It's creating a trailer like you have, a good website, getting your pitch, honing your pitch so you can pitch anybody, knowing that elevator pitch so you can talk to somebody in a room full of people and be able to pitch them, get their business card, follow up later. Uh, But it's the confidence that you have in yourself, I believe, is is a major contributing factor to your success in funding. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think you've got to fake it sometimes. (laughs) I'm a lot more confident because we've, you know, we got, it took us seven years plus to get through Finding Hollywood. And after that film, you know, I'm definitely more confident because we've gone through the process already. But, you know, writing grants and, and getting grant rejections is really tough. And... I think it's tough for anyone, even if you have confidence. It's just, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. And so it's figuring out how to balance those rejections with enough confidence to go out and still try and raise money from people. Um, When you write grants and and don't get them from major national organizations, but everyone else is telling you your film is so great, we love your project, it's really, um, it can mess with you, you It's it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Um, so you know we we just build confidence other ways, and you know at the end of the day we just want to make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can on all fronts, and that's all we can do. It is very important. Well, can you give us any tips in completing grant applications? Uh, hire a grant writer <laughs> would be <laughs> we um, we have worked with a grant writer for Big Sonia and it just helps a lot to have um, somebody who's not doing the day-to-day, you know, who's not so deep in it to have another perspective and somebody writing from their perspective is extremely helpful. Um, So I I would recommend hiring, you know, a writer or a consultant or somebody that you can, you know, maybe you do the template but then you pay them for a couple hours to revise it. I think you you need help. Um, I don't know... I don't, I know a few people that are really great at writing grants and can do it on their own start to finish, no problem, but most people I know have a have a tough time with it. So it does help to, to hire someone who knows what they're doing. Well, I think one of the problems is that you're the carrier of so much information. You right. have years of research, years of knowledge, and now you have to get it down to a certain number of pages. So what I find is because we are fiscal sponsors, I read people's grant applications before they mm-hmm. file them. And yeah, sometimes I great. find major benefits of the film or issues that the film will bring to raise the consciousness or how it's going to benefit society or some things that they I know they know, but they don't have in there. And you can't do it by yourself. You've got to have help. Totally agree. I, right. So, all right. Now, what advice could you give filmmakers in general on funding your film? Um, gosh, <laughs> there's so much, and you know, I don't know that I'm, I'm certainly not the authority on, on film funding, but I, I guess I would just, you know, tell people that it's there's no clear path, and 
that you never, you know, we've been so surprised at the people who've donated and helped us fund our projects. And I, you know, I think you just have to not give up and know that it's going to happen somehow, even though you might not know how. And be, you know, very open to suggestions and ideas and really learn how to pitch whatever you're trying to fund to anyone and everyone that you can. That's great advice, Leah. It always comes from someplace you would have never expected. While you're going down the road, you know, picking fruit off of the trees or shaking the trees, as Maury would say, to find exactly, the money. Yeah. In comes a, uh, a drone and drops some money in your lap from someone that you barely know who really exactly. has given you a nice big reward. It's as if the universe steps in and says, okay, let's help Leah out. She's working really hard, and bang, you get 10000 here, 5000 there. It's it's amazing, but that does happen, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I love it, yeah. yeah. But see, if you're on the path, you're doing, you've done the foundation, you're doing the work, you will finish the film. It's the commitment and the faith that you have to have. But I also teach my filmmakers that... Uh, Having uh, an outreach plan, having a marketing plan uh, to go with your film can help you closing donors. And I was really pleased when I read that you were talking about the outreach for Big Sonia and you said that you were going to um, use um, uh, humor to open conversations since the Holocaust is such a serious issue. So um, what are your outreach plans for that film? Well, we we really want to get into schools. I mean, we, we want to be out in the places where Sonia speaks. You know, she's right now she's the only survivor in Kansas City who's going around and, and talking to people about her experience. And she talks to everyone and anyone, but she does go to middle schools and high schools. And we really want to find funding so that we can get the right partners on board to collaborate on a you know a pretty extensive curriculum to go alongside with the film so that we can get it into schools you know because that's the next generation needs to know pretty soon all the survivors are going to be gone and then how do we learn about the holocaust so we want to get into schools middle schools and high schools colleges obviously um and then we want to get into you know nursing homes um, retirement homes, places where people would be inspired by this woman who, you know, is almost 90 and still going into work and having such a big impact on people. Right. You know, well, in order to, in order to do all of this, it costs, as you know, <laughs> quite a bit of money. So we are looking for outreach partners and sponsors um, who would like to put their name on the project and like to put their name on some of that outreach and educational material. Absolutely. Well, that would be uh, right there is uh, Mac and Microsoft and banks. Uh, was, yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it, but we'll see. <laughs> so so yeah, far, nobody's writing the check, but we'll see. <laughs> and that included with your pitch can assure people that this information is going to be ongoing, that it because this right. film will have a tremendous uh, shelf life, don't you think, Big Sonia? I, I I believe so. Yeah, we that's what we're aiming for. 
Absolutely right. Well, um, tell people how they can find you, Liv. Um, so we have uh, websites for all of our projects separately, and then our, our company is called Inflatable Film. So you can go to inflatablefilm.com and see everything that we're up to. If you are interested in a specific project, you can go to bigsonia.com or you can go to findinghollywood.com. And on all three sites, um, there's plenty of links for social media as well. Okay, so now IndieWire released a great article today. John Reese wrote, uh, today is July 1st, in an interview with you about the distribution of Finding Hollywood. Uh, you said you thought it, it was going to be challenging to distribute this across the traditional outlets, so, and that you started out to make a 75- to 90-minute feature, but during the test screenings that you cut it down to an hour. So tell us about how many test screenings did you have and what you think the benefits of test screenings are. Well, we did a number of test screenings all along the way. You know, it took us seven years to make the film, so you can imagine how many times we showed footage to people. Um, you, you know, again, you're so close to what you're doing that you really need an audience um, you know, if not even really of your friends. You just need an audience to, to look at it and you need to be in the room to know how the audience is reacting. And we did, um, once we had our rough, we probably did two or three different test screenings and we handed out, um, uh, you know, sheets with, with questions, questionnaires to the audience afterwards and got tons of feedback. And then it's a matter of, you know, wading through the feedback and deciding what you're going to listen to and what you aren't going to listen to. <laughs> and a lot of great things came out of those sessions. And, you know, the, probably the biggest one is that people just, most people um, didn't want a longer film. You know, we were aiming for 75 minutes, and what we got in the screenings was that most people didn't really want to pay attention that long. Um and the the things that we loved that we wanted to keep in didn't matter as much to to a general audience. So for me, that was really hard to come to terms with because there were some things we cut out that I would have liked to keep in, but I did ultimately have to listen to what the majority was, was saying, and that was really tough. Yeah, I, I can imagine. You have to throw out your darlings. That's what yeah. they say in that industry. Yeah, yeah. What's important to you is not to other people. But I've seen that so many times. One of my filmmakers, uh, uh, Alexis uh, Krosky, who is um, who did the Women Behind the Camera, uh, uh-huh. she had. I saw her two-hour cut. Uh, it's all the, she got all the women all over the world who were camera people, um, wow. starting in China with someone dragging the, those big Mitchell cameras. There was a woman wow. who took out in the fields, the rice paddies, and shot. It was superb, but who's going to sit there if you're not in the film industry and watch a two-hour film? So she cut it to 90 and then eventually to 60, and it took off at 60. So it's, yeah. it's, I guess it's finding the right of time for your film, so don't be afraid to just keep checking with your audience on what's right. That was very smart of you. Yeah, it's it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to, you know, I've been working on something for so long, and you tend to fall in love with certain parts, and it's just hard sometimes to 
um, to change your your line of thinking and your whole entire plan. But it worked out well for us, I think. And, you know, I don't have any regrets about it looking back. And you still got into festivals with a 58-minute film? We did. And, you know, it's interesting because that was one of our concerns about making it shorter than 60 was the festivals. But um, there were only a very few small, you know, small handful of festivals that wanted 75 or over. I have to say, you know, out of everywhere we went, we, it really wasn't an issue, like people had told us it might be. So that was great. Um, in some festivals, they played a short with ours, and that was the, the compromise. So because ours was 60, they would play a, a short film before it, and then it would fit their slot to be a whole program. Um, so it it didn't affect us that much. Right, and you were in so many film festivals, uh, 60 domestic and international festivals. So do you recommend filmmakers apply for those small uh, festivals? Well, I mean, in general, I think if you are going to go to festivals, you need to figure out what you're trying to get out of that experience. And knowing what you're trying to get out of it before you go is really important. Um, because you can waste a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy going to festivals that aren't really going to do much for you or your film. So some of the smaller festivals are great because they have you know, directors who know what they're doing, they're filmmaker-friendly, they go out of the way for you. Um, I mean, some of the best, our favorite film festivals, <laughs> most of them were, were smaller um, because... You know, a lot of them can can get an audience. They can pack a theater. They'll do work for you, and they'll cover some of your costs. And if they won't, then I'm not sure any festival is worth the time. So, you know, I, I consult with a lot of filmmakers about this now, and I think it is really important to come up with your strategy and, and your goals before you go through the whole festival experience because it it's exhausting and pricey. So you consult with people about their film festival strategies. Yeah, I do um, consult with a lot of filmmakers now about festivals and coming up with a plan and which ones might be better for which reason and what you need to do before, during, and after. Um, And so I kind of do that on the side for projects that I'm interested in or, or people that are just looking for a consultant. Great, because it's not only getting in, it's what do you do once you get in? How do you make exactly. use? Yeah, How I do think, you get the most out of it? Yeah, and we were, you know, a victim of this as well, but it, once you get in, there's a, there's a whole lot of work to do to make sure that people show up because um, you don't want to screen the film for, a, you know, for five people in the audience. And there's some festivals that will help you with that and some really won't do much work for you. So it's... It's a lot of work after you get in. Exactly. Well, <clears throat> I want to go back uh, to uh, Finding Hollywood. You've got a very good uh, distributor, you said, um, a stellar agent in Australia. Could you tell us about that company? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> I actually can't tell you much because I know she's not looking to take on any new projects right now. <laughs> um, but we... 
we started out with a distributor in the UK who you know, it was actually a really horrible experience. And um, so we learned a lot from that. They ended up going, shutting their doors um, and going bankrupt in the process. And there's quite a few filmmakers who were owed money um, by them. And at some point we hope that we see some of that money, but we're still waiting. Uh, and so we had a horrible experience first. And then after that, out of necessity, we were introduced to an agent who's based in Australia um, who has a small company. She only re- represents a couple of films, and I'm, she's full up right now. But, um, you know, she has been really an advocate and a bulldog for us and literally going country by country um, until she gets... Uh, no. <laughs> so she, you know, it, it feels so much better to have someone like that on your side than to have a distributor who has a million different films that they're trying to push and market. And um, I highly recommend, you know, after what we went through, finding a, a agent who's going to work really hard for you. Now, she's your foreign distributor. She's. Um, we ended up dividing our rights for finding Hollywood into many different distributors and agents. So she just handles um, international broadcast. So she is going country by country, reaching out to broadcasters, trying to figure out if if the film is a good fit for them. Great. So that's international broadcasters. Then you chose Archer for digital sales. Why did you pick them? Um, you know, they... Gosh, we well, we reached out to a lot of different digital distributors and and in the end, I think the Orchard was the company that was excited about us and we were also excited about them. It was a mutual excitement versus, you know, us really wanting a company but the company didn't really want us or vice versa. <laughs> and they have a good reputation. They distribute um a lot of documentaries. They um, can get films onto iTunes and Amazon, and we just got Finding Hollywood onto Hulu. Um, and so they have a, a, a decent reputation, and we weren't worried about them going bankrupt or closing, which had happened with our international distributor. So by the time we got to the orchard, we just wanted something, you know, we wanted a safer relationship. Right. Reliable, steady company. <clears throat> well, tell me, tell me you found a Terry Steiner for your in-flight movies, and how did you make that deal? So um, we travel a lot. We travel all over the world for, you know, our day job making content. And every time I'm on a plane, I'm always trying to figure out who's distributing the <laughs> the documentaries and the movies that are on the in-flight systems. And so I remember just seeing Terry Steiner's logo come up all the time when we were traveling and thinking, oh, well, this is um, obviously, you know, they're getting content onto planes. So I actually just emailed them myself um, after our our international, the first distribution company, Mercury Media, that we were with that went bankrupt actually had our um, our in-flight rights, but they weren't doing anything with the rights. So for us, it was actually great that we got those rights back because, um, you know, right before they shut down, they had told us that they were reaching out to companies, but we found out that wasn't the case. And so when they shut down, it gave us a good um, excuse to take the rights back. 
and try and do it ourselves. And so I actually just emailed Terry Steiner and let them know about our film and what we wanted to do with it and where we thought it might be a good fit. And they've been great. You know, fortunately, they um, they took our film, which I was a little surprised about because it's, you know, it's not mainstream. <laughs> it has subtitles, you know, but we, they've done well with it. We've gotten it on a few different airlines. Um, and if I ever see anything that, that I think might be a good fit, I forward it to them and they're great about the follow-up. Oh, how nice. Well done. See, that's just being right on top of the game. Good that was, you. Yeah, that was huge for us. I think, you know, we got the film onto Rwanda Airlines and Namibia Air and um, Kenya Airways, and those are all airlines that we fly, you know, when we go to Africa. So it, it just felt good as well. Fantastic. Well, now I understand that Gather the theatrical on demand company found you. So how did they find you and what kind of a relationship do you have with them? They um found us at the Big Sky Film Festival and were really persistent um about bringing us on and at that point, you know, of course we're looking at Tug as well and at that point just because Gather was so persistent with us it it felt like they really wanted to have the relationship with us again it's that relationship thing so um so we signed with them and you know it's been a really huge learning curve for us i think we, you know we've learned that again you have to have enough marketing money to really push your film you have to have sponsors who want to buy in and help tip those screenings or you're not going to be able to have very many screenings um i think naively we thought that gather would be able to do more to help us and the reality is they have a lot of films that they're pushing and trying to help and again it's just not you know you really need people working very closely and you need you need a lot of money (laughs) you need a lot of money to distribute and do the kind of outreach that most filmmakers want to do this is so important because you've got to get that into a budget. You have to raise that money. What I actually think should happen is while you're producing the film, part of your income, a small percentage goes, that of all the checks that you get in, a little bit goes to social networking and building your database because mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. where your money is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's what um, your video on demand. It's theatrical on demand. Uh, it's all of those things. And so, if you can just have people online chatting for you about mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. issues that your film uh, it, it covers and driving them to your website to join your community, mm-hmm. it is such an important thing to do before you get all the way down the road you find, whoa, now you want me to build a, a community and uh Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's hard. It is well, really hard. It's time consuming and Yeah, it's it's hard. You gotta it takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village, yes. Well yeah. this article with John is so well done. Uh, he's such a good writer. But, yeah, um, I really, really like him. And, of course, you know, if you haven't read his book, Think Outside the Box Office, that's a great resource as well. 
It certainly is. I love that book. So, But you said the top ten things I learned from distributing my first documentary film. So, number one, you say be ready to take a year or more off work. So tell us about that one. Uh, so I, you know, just traveling with our film, you know, we felt it was really important to have somebody at all of the screenings to be able to do the Q&A afterwards. And because, um, you know, I spent the most time on the film and would call it mine as well as, you know, everyone else who worked on it, it that responsibility ultimately came down to me. And, you know, whether I wanted to do it or not, it just was something that needed to be done. And I really felt like we would learn a lot and it would be a good experience in the end, but it did necessitate taking almost a year off of normal paying work because the festivals are not reliable. You just, you know, some of them you don't know you're in until two weeks before. So uh, I just had to make myself available for that. And I'm glad that I was there. We met tons of great people. And overall it was, you know, it was wonderful. It was just I didn't anticipate having to do all of all of the travel <laughs> myself. So, uh, did you could you give us an idea of what the budget was for the the expenses for let's say for for getting the money you lost from not working but just the expense of getting and traveling and hotels and food and all the other things that it cost oh, you? I mean, I just for me, you know, and we did get some of our expenses covered, so we tried to get as many as possible along the way. But I'd say in a year, I spent at least twenty five thousand dollars just on screening fees and wow. travel. And that's not that's not including any of the money that you know we lost that year. Well was it worth it? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely because when you know you work for so long on something, sometimes the only validation you really have is watching the film with an audience who appreciates it. So it is a little addictive to be able to watch a film that you're really happy with that you worked on for so long in an audience of people who get it, who appreciate it, and who, you know, come up to you afterwards and say thank you. And, you know, there's not there's not a lot of thanks and praise during the, the process of making a film. So I really think festivals are sometimes the only validation that you get. So I'm all for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. That That is a very good reason. And then I'm sure you met a lot of people that will help you in the industry through those festivals. Right, of course. Yeah, we great relationships. Okay, so the number two is you say talk with other producers who've worked with distribution companies before you sign. Most important thing, I think. And, you know, we learned from that. We did end up talking with some producers about Mercury Media before they shut their doors. And most of them were so-so or happy enough, um, so we went with that, and it turned out to not work out for us. But what we did find, and with every company who we're working with right now, you know, we did reach out to filmmakers before we signed with all of them, and um, we found that filmmakers are really honest. You know, directors and producers are really honest about whether they're making money or not, whether they like the relationship or not, and you could spend a lot of time going down the road with the wrong company um so i and a lot of money 
<laughs> so I think it is important to to get some honest feedback before you sign any deals. Right. And so it may take three or four people to talk to you to get the truth. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Listen to the nuances uh, and add everything up in your mind. Now you say number three: hire an entertainment lawyer to look over every single contract you sign. Yeah, we. You know, I'm horrible with contracts. I hate them, and I don't. I rarely understand what they're talking about. So. Uh, why would I? <laughs> why would I not hire somebody to look over those? I think it's it's the best money you'll spend. Really, I think you do need to have an entertainment lawyer, someone who's dealt with distribution contracts before. Um, yes. To at least get your templates in line because things happen. Companies shut down. I mean, you may be in a position you don't ever want to be, but you might be in a position where you end up in a legal battle, and it's. You know, if you don't have a lawyer on your team or if you don't have a decent contract, then you could be out quite a bit of money. I know someone who came up with an idea for a TV series. They hired the writers. The writer took all their ideas, wrote everything. They uh, got it all the way. They they spent over a million dollars making a pilot Mm. for it. But as it went through all of these processes, what happened was that when they went into the first meeting, the writer got all the attention, and the two people who had the idea and the history and, and gave all of the information to write the script with were not included because, and oh they were gosh. just treated like they didn't even exist because no, they there was one or two words that had to be in a contract to say that they were the original creators and they were a co-writer. Wow. And they didn't know that because they didn't yeah, have yeah. a business, a film business attorney. So right. it cost them money. Right. They uh, and they were really shocked at how the the industry works. But yeah. It, yeah, so there's no way you can survive in our industry without a really sharp attorney because just two or three words out of a contract cost them a lot of money. Right, right. No, it's sad. Sad but true. Sad but true. Okay, number four. Don't sign away all of your rights uh, to one company unless they have a track record for selling all of those rights. Divide your rights up and find the best people, companies to sell each. So how is that what you're doing? That's what we did with Finding Hollywood, and that's probably what we're going to do with Big Sonia as well. Um, There's some larger distribution companies that, you know, if you can get a great deal from them, they'll most likely take all of the rights. But there are also now a lot of rights like in-flight or digital that, that people will put into contracts, um, but they don't have necessarily the right experience or the track record for selling those kinds of rights. So it is important to figure out um, the companies that you're going with what they're best at. And some of them might be good at in-flight or digital or broadcast, and some of them might just be good at one of those things. But in general, the companies will put all of the rights into the contracts, and it's your responsibility to take those out. That's what we found. Wonderful. That's a great tip. Thank you. Uh, watch other documentaries, lots of them. What a, why is <laughs> of that? Of course. Why yeah. do you do I that? I think the, you know, the more you watch, and I've, been on some documentary panels, which is awesome because you get to watch tons of documentaries, which is 
you know, my favorite thing to do. So I think you just learn a lot. You learn about what styles are people people are using and of course you learn who's distributing those documentaries because we're always looking at that as well. Um and then you you learn what people are kind of looking for and responding to by following films that might be similar to yours or not similar to yours. Um but the only way to keep a pulse on that is really to just watch as many as you can all the time. I know. I love it. I do that. And uh, I like, I'm uh, a big fan of Alex Gibney. And I sometimes I think it's yeah. fun to take, have like an Alex Gibney weekend, you know, Errol Morris weekend, and watch the directors, watch their films, you know, mm-hmm. how they direct. Mm-hmm. Um it's so much fun, and you learn so much. You, uh, some of the films you look at the how the backgrounds are changing. Uh, the this B roll that we always thought was part of a film uh, is n- that Finding Susan Sarandon. Did you see uh, Finding Susan? No, uh, I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh, you must see that for the put it edit- on my list. Yeah. Oh, it's top drawer. Okay, so create. Great. Merchandise and DVDs early and sell them at every screening and event you attend. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, uh-oh. Hang on a second. Uh, it, we were told, I think, you know, early on that there was a big debate over whether we should or shouldn't sell DVDs at our screenings, and I wish that we had figured that out and done it sooner. We were really scared um, because some people said, don't sell DVDs, you'll have a problem later, but in hindsight, you know, we're, we didn't have a chance at getting in with a big retailer like Walmart or Costco, so for us, selling DVDs would have been fine. <laughs> we just didn't start early enough, and, um, you know, we found that every screen, once you have captured people at a screening, they want to buy something, and if you have merchandise to sell them, then you can often cover a lot of your fun- cost that way. You can make quite a bit of money. Um, but again, you have to be pretty organized about it, and in some cases, you might need a helper to help you sell the merchandise. But people, if they like what you're doing, they want to buy a shirt, they want to buy a DVD, they want to buy a sticker, they want something to take with them. So I always recommend giving them something to spend money on. Excellent. Great. And it's a start to raising money for festival travel while you're producing the film. So just put yeah. a little something aside. Well, we budget. yeah, we we spent a lot of money after the fact. We didn't raise enough money to go to all the festivals, and I think most people don't think about that while they're just trying to finish the film because that's enough work on its own. Um, I think you do have to put, and in some cases, you have to hide that money in a budget because it's not really sexy for people you know you it's not people don't want to pay for distribution costs like i've never met anyone that wants to write a check for distribution because nobody understands what that means so you might have to put it into a different line item but you know that it's going to cost you money to make dvds it's going to cost you you know money to travel to all the festivals so where do you put that in the budget so that you can raise money along the way and not be not be in a tough spot when you're done very true, very true. Always ask for a screening fee. I didn't know you could do that at a festival. Yeah, you can, you know, they can say no. <laughs> but they can also say yes, and most of the time 
we found that if they want your film bad enough, they'll pay you to screen it, which they should, because you're not making any money when people show up at the festival. The festival's making money. So, you know, again, if you're not getting a screening fee, but you decide to show up at the festival and sell all your merchandise, maybe that, you know, covers the cost of a screening fee, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Good. Uh, be ready to generate your own press and marketing, marketing materials. And I love this the quote, distributing a film is like running a small business. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to do everything unless you can afford to hire a PR company, which we do sometimes when we can afford it. But in general, we have to do a lot of the work ourselves because we just don't have the money to hire people. So, you know, you have to get kind of good at doing graphics and you have, you know, out of necessity. Not everyone wants to do this, but... Um, you have to make a press kit, you know, and, it, and more power to you if you can pay somebody to do it for you, but most people don't have that money. So you have to figure out a way to market yourself and market your film. And when you go to festivals and even when you're done with the film, it becomes all about the marketing. And your film is really just a tool. Um, you know, it's, a t- it's one tool in the toolkit, but in order to get anybody to watch that film, there's quite a bit of marketing and and PR that goes into that. So exactly. you know, it's pretty it's pretty easy to go online and find other films that you like and download their press kits and use those as a template. Um and so that's kinda what I recommend if you can't afford to hire somebody is just look for some films you like and copy what they did because everything's already been done. Oh how fantastic. All right, number 10, not everyone wants to see your film, and that's okay. Go find the people that do and give them a million ways to see it and support you. That's a great tip. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, we your film's probably not for everyone. There's always going to be, you know, some people that just aren't interested, and it's easier to to let that go than to be offended by it, I think, you know, you can find smaller festivals and you can find ways and appropriate blogs and press to market the film that you're making to whatever audience it needs to be seen by. Um, but you do, you know, before you do that, you kind of have to be ready for the storm because once you do, you know, if you don't have a website where people can purchase the film, if you don't you know, have a press kit on your website that people can just download so they don't have to email you for it. Like, you have to be ready for all these things that happen when people actually want to watch your film. <laughs> so, you know, and, and why not give them ways to donate, you know, with a donate button, and why not give them, like, a T-shirt to buy or a hat to buy? So it really is a small business. It's, you know, you're running a business. And you certainly you gotta, are. you got to be ready for that. Oh, excellent advice. Leah, we thank you so much. Now, you give consultations about festivals, distribution, and marketing for documentaries. And please tell people how they can reach you. We're just about out of time. So, yeah, we have. So, um, our website, inflatablefilm.com, is the best way. And we would really appreciate it if you're interested in our projects, to please go onto Facebook and like um, Finding Hollywood and like Big Sonia on social media. And that's 
how we keep everybody posted day to day on on all of our projects. So we'd appreciate your support. Thank you, Leah. Brilliant. Thank you, Claire. And yes. we really wish you the very best of luck. And we want we've got to get you back in six or eight months. We want to hear how <laughs> Sonia is and what happens with the distribution of Finding Hollywood. It's all exciting. Thank you so much for for letting me share and. You know, eight months from now, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens too. So maybe we'll check in then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Regards All right. to your father. Thank you so much, guys. Okay. Take care, Leah. Okay. Thank you, Carol. Bye. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Claire. Lots of love. Bye. You well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. <laughs>